Got everybody trained. We don't have to say you're dismissed or anything. Everybody just knows what to do. That's good. First Corinthians, going to be at the end of chapter 2 today. That E there, at, when he said whosoever, might as well be a high C. It's high in the morning. First Corinthians chapter 2. Hope you all had a good week. Mine's been busy. Had a lot going on. Uh, you know how marketplace is. If you if you find something on marketplace, you better go like right now to go get it, or it's gone. So what was that Thursday night? I was out push mowing the grass, contemplating my life, and I'm like, man, I gotta get a rider. And I've been saying that all year, and I've been looking all year, but I'm not paying, you know, fifteen hundred dollars for a for a rider that's ten years old. So I've just been looking, looking, waiting for the end of the season, and uh, one popped up on Thursday. And it said, posted less than an hour ago with a bagger. And we bag all our grass so we can compost it. So uh, otherwise, I wouldn't really care. I'd throw grass everywhere. But we try to compost it. So this one had a bagger. And a bagger system's expensive, too, just that alone. So I zipped out to uh, Ash Cake Road and picked up a lawnmower and ended up getting back like 9.30 at night and then back up at, that was Thursday. Then we had prayer meeting Friday morning. So I had a busy week. But anyway, hope you all had a good week. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we're going to pray, and then we're going to review just real quickly, and then uh, we'll get into today's lesson. All right, let's pray. Father, I thank you for this day you've given us. God, again, I thank you for the opportunity to open your word. God, I pray that we would be opening your word on our own throughout the week, uh, studying, and as we've talked about uh, many times in this series already, uh, trying to understand uh, the mysteries of your word. God, you have them in there for us to find, and you have them in there for us to understand. Uh, but the, as we'll talk about today, the natural man cannot understand them. And God, I pray that we wouldn't be not understanding your word because we're not studying it. Pray that we would be doing our diligence to uh, be good stewards of your word that you've given us, and uh, God, that you would just help us to understand what you have for us. Pray that you bless this hour we have here, and bless the next service. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, so we are getting ready today to start the third problem that Paul is going to address here in 1 Corinthians. Can anybody tell me the first two that we've already talked about? We finished the second one yet uh, last week, and then we had one before that. So let's think back, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we had verses 1 through 9 was the greeting. greeting. Eric's got that. Good job, Eric. The greeting. And then verses 10 through the beginning of chapter 2 was this, I'll give you a hint, the sin of, this is what he's addressing, remember? So Chloe wrote him a letter and said, hey, we got all these issues in the church. Eric, the sin of following human leaders. Yes, but, but very good. So verse 10 starts, if you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, is he, he addresses these divisions and he says, this is how you fix them. Now, here are the divisions. What are you all doing? Right, So the sin of following human leaders. And then, chapter 2, uh, we started into the sin of following what? Think about what we talked about last week. Miss Barbara. Man's wisdom. man's wisdom. Very good. The sin of following earthly or man's wisdom. It's a problem, and that was a big part of why there were these divisions in the church. Remember? Who was the one that was eloquent, a good speaker? Who was that that they were following? Brother Eric, Apollos. Apollos, man, Brother Eric and Miss Barbara got it, got it this morning, didn't? 
Got to represent on this side, buddy. Oh, you told them the answers. <laughs> Good. All right. So, yes, sin of following earthly wisdom. Apollos would have been a big, and, and we talked about this last week. Apollos was not the problem. Apollos was just a maybe a deep thinker, what we would call a deeper thinker. Now, he would have maybe, you know, really dug into God's word and brought out some things that people hadn't thought of before. And so it wasn't his fault that they were following him because of his eloquent speaking or whatever. But these people grabbed a hold of that and, and were like, oh, yeah, I'm a deep thinker, too. So that's why I follow Apollos. I don't follow Paul. He's simple. But Paul told us in, in chapter two, he did, does that on purpose so that he doesn't what? Why does he do that on purpose? Speaks more simply and and because it's all about the gospel. He doesn't want to take away from the gospel or the power of God. He doesn't want to take away from that with eloquent speech. So he purposely, uh, verse three, verse four of chapter two, and my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and power. For what reason? Verse five, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So he's saying, I don't want you going, oh, wow, Paul's so smart. He's so wise. Listen to his preaching. I want you look, look, looking at or listening to my preaching and putting your faith in, in God's wisdom. All right. So we are going to, we have the last three verses of chapter two to talk about today. And I'm going to try, we'll see what happens, but I'm going to try to get through chapter three today as well. So we're going to have to move pretty quickly to do that. And I think we can. So the third thing we're going to talk about, this one's very short. The third sin that Paul addresses here is the sin of floundering in the flesh. And there's a reason that, that that is classified as a sin. We don't have to fall to the flesh every time we're, we stand against it. Every time it comes up and we're tempted, we don't have to fall. Look at verses 14 through 16 of chapter 2. <clears throat> and I am going to use y'all a lot for, for uh, looking up some passages today, but toward the middle of the lesson, all right? Verse 14, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Uh, so we're going to talk about uh, three things here with this uh, sin of foundering, floundering in the flesh. And the first thing we're going to talk about is the corpse. I just took my, my lesson all the way. Okay, I'm coming, I'm coming. Okay, so we're going to talk about the corpse. The natural man, verse 14, but the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. And as we go through this, I want you all to look at the last phrase of verse 14. Because this is school, right? This is Sunday school. So I want you all to think about what that last phrase means. Because they are spiritually discerned. And I won't tell you what I've often thought um, growing up, kind of as we learned these verses and memorized them, what that meant. Uh, but I want somebody or somebodies, we'll have a little quick discussion here in just a second, about what that means, because they are spiritually discerned. Who is it talking about, and what does that phrase kind of mean? All right, so the corpse, first thing is he's incapable of receiving the truth of God. We talked about, we touched on this right at the end of last week, right? It's not that he just doesn't know. He's incapable. He's incapable of understanding it. Um, we'll talk about that right now, because I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to end up telling y'all what, what I think it means. But can somebody raise your hand, Brother uh, Nate? 
It's fine. I, I know exactly what you're saying. I'm going to give you another verse. John chapter 1, verse 5 says, The light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehendeth it not. Right? That was Jesus. He was here, and they could not comprehend that he was the Messiah. Because, let me ask you this then, who is they referring to? And that in that little piece, because they are spiritually discerned, or what is they referring to? Brother Eric. That's exactly it. That's, that's what I'm looking for. So they, I often thought, because the natural man is spiritually discerned. What, what, what does that mean, though? The natural man can't understand it because they're spiritually discerned. It's talking about the things of the Spirit of God. They cannot understand, receive not the things of the Spirit of God, for their foolishness unto him, because they this, this, are spiritually discerned. So a natural man that does not, remember last week we talked about the Holy Spirit Living in a Christian, right? What is the Holy Spirit? What did we, we say that was to God? What is he to God? And I know I'm asking a very specific question about our lesson last week. He is the comforter, but I'll give you... Huh? He, he, he does do that. And me and, me and you talked about John... Uh, is it John 14, 26? The comforter, which is the Holy Ghost. But what is the Holy Ghost in reference in regards to God himself. Remember I told you Neha. Sort of. Remember I said I can't understand, I don't know what Nitin is talking, uh, thinking because I don't know his mind, right? We, we referenced, we said that the Holy Spirit is the mind or the spirit of God, right? So the natural man cannot know the things of, of the Spirit of God because he doesn't have the mind of Christ. That's the reason he can't understand. He's not, not he's not born again, exactly right. He does not have the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is what gives us the mind of Christ. And so if you don't have the mind of Christ, you cannot know the things of the Spirit of God, which is why these things are spiritually discerned and natural man cannot receive them. All right? I didn't plan on spending that much time about, about that, but that's why. So it doesn't mean the natural man or the unsaved man has no wisdom or no understanding or no, uh, no um, natural reasoning. They can be a very smart person, but they can't understand spiritual things, that are the mysteries of God that God gives to us and helps us to understand. All right, so we have the corpse. He's incapable of receiving the truth of God. He's incapable of knowing. So there's two different things there. He's incapable of receiving it. He can't receive it. But he's also incapable of knowing it. He can't. We talked about this last week at the end. He can't go study the Bible and understand it just like we do. He's incapable of knowing the truths, the mysteries of God. John chapter 1, verse 5. I already read it, but you don't think that the Pharisees and the Sadducees knew the Old Testament law? They knew it. They knew the prophecies. They knew what they were looking for in the Messiah. And John chapter 1 verse 5 says, The light shineth in darkness, and darkness comprehended it not. These uh, deep thinkers, these studiers of the word of God, of the Old Testament law, could not comprehend that this was the Messiah because they're spiritually discerned. The, the things of the Spirit of God are. He's incapable of knowing the truth. And it's interesting, uh, verse 14, for they are foolishness unto him. And there's other places where it says, uh, talks about preaching being foolishness. And You know what the, the, the Greek word for that foolishness is? We get our word for, for our English word? 
moron, is moronic. It's the same Greek word that he uses here, foolishness. It's not necessarily, oh, that was a foolish decision. No, you're a moron is what it's saying. You can't understand. You're, you're almost an idiot when it comes to spiritually discerning things because you cannot discern them, okay? So we have the corpse, then we have the conqueror, verses 15 and 16. And who is the conqueror? Not, it's not because of ourselves either. It's us. It's those that have the Spirit of God, verse 15. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. And this is uh, interesting too. It's a direct, it's, it's not a direct quote. I, I almost messed up again. But Isaiah chapter 40, verse 13. Turn there really fast. Isaiah 40, 13. And he says, who hath known the mind of Christ, or that he may instruct him? We have the, but we have the mind of Christ. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 13 says this. Who hath directed the spirit of the Lord, or, or being his counselor, hath taught him? Paul, again, quoting the Old Testament. Who does that sound like, though? When, as soon as I read that verse, it immediately made me think of somebody else, or another book of the Bible, when he's asking that question. Especially in Isaiah. Who, who hath known the mind of Christ? Does, anybody, does it ring a bell to anybody? The book of Job. Remember when, when God is talking to Job and he says, Where were you when, when I made the earth? Were you there when I made the trees? Were you there when I created these beasts? That he, that he then goes and gives a description of. So that was the first thing it made just interesting, made me think of. But Paul is quoting Isaiah chapter 40, verse 13 there. Um, and I already mentioned this. We have the mind of God. In the person of the Holy Spirit. That's the only way to have the mind of Christ. Let this mind be in, in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. What is that? The Holy Spirit. We have to have the Holy Spirit to help us discern. All right, so we have the corpse, the conquer, and then chapter 3, we're going to start into the carnal Christian. All right? Um, yep, and we're about to, this will be the last piece of the sin of floundering in the flesh all right chapter 3 verses 1 through 7 i'm going to i'm going to read start reading them verse 1 and i brethren could not speak unto you as unto spiritual but as unto carnal even as unto babes in christ i have fed you with milk and not with meat for hitherto ye were not able to bear it neither yet now are ye able paul is not just giving facts here he's he is uh reproving them He's saying, I wanted to give you a lot more. I couldn't. But then, how long did Paul spend in Corinth on his first missionary journey? I, th I thought your hand went up. Sorry, I put you on the spot. We said about 18 months, about a year and a half, remember? So Paul himself, the apostle Paul, spent 18 months teaching these new Christians you would think that they would be doing a little bit better, right? But he says in verse 2 at the end, Yet, neither yet now are you able to eat that meat. That's a problem. Paul is saying this, I'm reproving you. Verse 3, for ye are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? That's a strong reproof. Walk as men. He's not saying, you know, you should be walking as saints. He is, but he's not using it as the, in the Catholic sense of saints. He's saying, you're walking as unsaved men. You're walking like you didn't know the truth, and you have it. 
You have the mind of Christ, and you're walking as men. For while one saith, I'm of Paul, and another, I'm of Apollos, are ye not carnal? Look how many times he uses that word in this short passage. You're carnal. You're carnal. That's a problem. Uh, verse 5, who then is Paul, and who is Apollos, but ministers by whom ye believed, even as the Lord gave to every man? I have a planet, Apollos water, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. So we're car- they were carnal, they were weak, partaking in the nature of the flesh. And Romans, it's all over in the Romans. After you've been saved, are you going to go back? To the things of the flesh, that's what the Corinthians had done here. Um, but so they were weak, and then they were also, uh, in verses 2 through 4, they were unwilling to accept that meat. He says in verse, uh, end of verse 2, neither yet now are ye able. And he's not necessarily saying you refuse to. He's saying you can't. I can't give you the meat that you need to grow because you're carnal. Uh, so they were unwilling, but then they, they, their minds, this mind of Christ that they've been given has been warped. End of verse uh, 3. And walk as men. You've, you've warped that spirit that's been given to you because you're walking as men. Remember, I said last week, uh, right at the end, but verses 14 through 16 there, uh, the natural man... It can also be a Christian acting like a natural man because he's grieved the spirit so often and so much that he's actually quenched the spirit in his life. That still small voice that we hear that the Bible talks about, that's the Holy Spirit. That's not our conscience. That's the Holy Spirit. The unsaved man has a conscience. He knows it's wrong to kill. He knows it's wrong to steal. Uh, You know, when you're young, young, we had Emma one time, I don't know, she was probably three years old, and she came walking out of the store with with something. We didn't notice it until we got in the car, and I said, where'd you get that? She said, from the store? We were like, no, 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 no. So young, young, they don't understand, but as soon as we start having an understanding of what's going on around us, our conscience tells us, and that's from God too, but our conscience tells us that's wrong. But once we're saved... It's not our conscience leading us, even though we still have that. It's the Holy Spirit of God. And when we quench the Holy Spirit of God through continual sin or uh, knowing the Holy Spirit is telling us to go do something or I'm surrendering my life and he says, good, I want you to do this. I'm not doing that. We can quench the Holy Spirit in our lives to where he stops. He stops giving us this understanding and we're just as bad as the natural man as far as discerning the things of the Spirit of God. All right, so... Then we have verses 5 through 7, the witnesses. And I'm just, I wrote this down. I'm just going to read it. Um, but it says, this is not a direct quote, but I got it from Matthew Henry. It's a whole uh, conglomeration of his thoughts. But he says this, It is the duty of a faithful minister of Christ to consult the capacities of his hearers and teach them as they can bear. Uh, long way of saying, it's, it's the pastor's job to understand where his people are at. If he gets up here to brand new Christians and starts you know, teaching the deep things of revelation, he's going to lose them, right? And I don't mean lose them, walk out the door, but they're going to go, what is he talking about? So it's the duty of the faithful minister of Christ to understand where the capacity of his hearers are and teach them as they can bear. And yet, and this is important for us, it is natural for babes to grow up to be men. And babes in Christ should endeavor to grow in stature and become men in Christ. That's natural. So if we are saved 
and maybe we've been saved for 15 or 20 years and we have the spiritual stature of a five-year-old, that's a problem. Something's wrong. And that's what Paul's addressing here. He's saying, neither yet now are ye able. I was there for 18 months. I've been gone for a year. I'm writing back to you. What is going on? What are y'all doing? Uh, so he says, uh, Matthew Henry then says, uh, it is expected that their advances in knowledge, the spiritual man, should be in proportion to their means and opportunities and their time of professing religion, that they may be able to bear discourses on the mysteries of our religion and not always rest in plain things. And what he's saying is the preacher shouldn't always have to just give us, you know, shallow uh, messages of, of encouragement. He, might, he should be able sometimes to really dig in and not lose us. We should understand because we're growing and our time of having been saved uh, corresponds to our understanding uh, of spiritual things. All right. It was a reproach to the Corinthians that they had so long sat under the ministry of Paul and had made no more improvement in Christian knowledge. Christians are utterly to blame who do not endeavor to grow in grace and knowledge. He's saying that's not the preacher's fault. Typically, that's the Christian's fault for not growing. Uh, <clears throat> and I don't want anybody to raise their hands, but you know how many of us spent time, at least two or three days this week, really studying God's Word? And when I say really studying, I don't mean for two or three hours at a time. I'm saying, you know, uh, meditating on verses. That's our job as Christians. How many of us spent any time in God's Word this week just for our own, for our own benefit? to understand or to have a time of devotion, a time of Bible reading and prayer. How much time do we spend this week? And that's what he's saying here. Christians are utterly to blame. It's our fault if we do not endeavor to grow in grace and knowledge. Don't blame the preacher when you say, man, I just, you know, I just, I'm not being fed. That's your fault. And typically, I don't necessarily mean, you know, if you're in a, in a weak church of some sort and the pre preacher just isn't giving you what you need. Uh, but it, it's very much our fault if we're not growing. All right, now quickly, we're going to get into chapter 3, verses 18, 8, 8 through 23, and hopefully we can finish this. If not, we'll <clears throat> tie it up next week. All right, um, forgetting the sin of forgetting the future. That's important because the natural man or, or uh, <clears throat> some of these in the Bible that he was addressing, <clears throat> excuse me, what were they doing? They were living for the moment, right? Eat, drink, and be merry. For what? Tomorrow we die. Just do, do whatever makes you happy. And Paul is saying, y'all are doing that. You forgot there's a future. There's a future judgment that we're going to stand before God. And you know these verses. We're really familiar with them, but I, I love these verses. Uh, verse 9, for we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building. And that's interesting, too, because up till this point, Paul has referenced, <clears throat> has made a lot of references to agriculture, right? <clears throat> uh, if you look in verse 8, he that planteth and he that watereth are one. Every man shall receive his own reward. Uh, that's not the verse I'm looking for. I have a planet. Verse 6, I have planted, Apollos watered, God gave the increase, right? But now in verse 9, he switches metaphors and he starts talking about building which is which um, I like. Verse 9, we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry, agriculture, and he says then, ye are God's building. 
Then he switches to that in verse 10. According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. Paul is saying, I laid the foundation. I gave you what you needed. And what is it? It's in the passage. What is the foundation? It's Christ. Yes, the gospel. But I gave you Christ. You accepted that. You've got the foundation. But then he says, but let every man take heed how he builds thereupon. That, that tells us we, it's completely up to us what we build, right? And as we go through this passage, you'll see why that's important. Verse 11, for other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, and precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. Before we go any further, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to back up, and we're going to talk about the effort of the ministers. Verses 8 and 9. He that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. We are not in competition with another church down the road that's in the same game that we are. By that I mean preaching the same gospel Trying to, trying to follow the Bible as closely as it can. We're not in competition with them. We are one, he says in verse 8. Uh, uh, we are, he that planteth and he that watereth are one. We don't have soul winning competitions at our church because that's not the goal. We, we should be soul winning, but there are churches out there that raise your hand if you saw five saved today. Raise your hand if you saw ten, or not today, but this week. Ten saved this week. Come up here. We're going we're gonna to recognize them. That's what Paul's saying. That's not what we're doing here. He that planteth and he that watereth are one. If Nitton sees somebody saved and they come to church and for whatever reason they gravitate toward Brother Bill, water them. That's our job. Nitton shouldn't be, what, why are they talking to him? I, I saw them saved. I, they're my visitor. That, that's not what this is. This, is. this is a church body working together for the cause of Christ. So the effort of the ministers, but then, then you have um, the responsibility of the ministers, and this is, this is so important, to lay the foundation of Christ. Uh, Brother Nitton, can you look at Ephesians, look up Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20 for me? To lay the foundation of Christ is the responsibility of the minister. If he's laying the foundation on his personality, or he's laying his, this, the foundation on programs in the church, or he is laying the foundation, as we see often, on some uh, uh, supernatural thing that happened. I was saved from this. Brother Nitton talks about this all the time. A lot of, a lot of Indian people base their salvation on some blessing that God gave them. That's the wrong foundation. You're starting off on the wrong foundation. And that's what Paul says in verse 10. Uh, according to the grace which God has given to me. He's not saying, this is all me. He's saying, God gave me the grace to understand and to be a wise master builder, and I have laid that foundation, and another build it thereupon. But let every man take heed how he builds thereupon. But if you don't have the right foundation, you can forget it. Remember, the foolish man built his house upon the sand. Right? And what happens as soon as there's trial, as soon as there's a test, that house falls. Because the foundation is wrong. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20, Brother Nitton. And are built upon the foundation of apostles 
Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. He's the foundation. That's the responsibility of the pastor, of those that are, are teaching and leading, to make sure that that is the foundation that they are laying. All right? Uh, the grace of God then brings that salvation, but they must lay that foundation. Um, and I wrote this down. Every wise minister and every wise follower of Christ builds only on this foundation. It's also important for the followers. Again, it's not only the preacher's responsibility. All right? It's our responsibility then to build on that foundation. We could have the right foundation and then go build on, build off of not using the foundation, go build everything that we do. And we're still, we got that foundation, we got the right one, and then we built on something different. All right? Uh, Matthew Henry wrote this as well. Some build upon this foundation gold, silver, and precious stones, namely those who receive and propagate the pure truths of the gospel, who hold nothing but the truth as it is in Jesus and preach nothing else. This is building well upon a good foundation. When ministers not only depend upon Christ as the great prophet of the church and take him for their guide and infallible teacher, but receive and spread the doctrines he taught in their purity without any corrupt mixtures, without adding or diminishing. That's building on a good foundation. And that's what, that's what our church is trying to do. You'll hear pastors say this often. We're trying to follow the word of God as closely as we, as we know how. And if there is something that, you know, you sit in church and you hear it preached and you go, I don't think there's a verse right here that says otherwise. If you take it to pastor and he studies it out and goes, you know what? I'm wrong. It will change. We're not following a denomination's set of religious beliefs. We're trying to follow God's word. And that's, that's a wise uh, master builder that Paul describes there. But then he says this, others build wood, hay, and stubble on this foundation. That is, though they adhere to the foundation, <clears throat> they depart from the mind of Christ in many particulars, substitute their own fancies and inventions in the room of his doctrines and institutions, and build upon the good foundation what will not abide the test when the day of trial shall come, and the fire must make it manifest, as wood, hay, and stubble will not bear the trial by fire. What he's saying is exactly what Paul says. They got the foundation. They got Christ. That's what we're talking about on uh, Wednesday nights when we, we're going through these different religions. Uh, right now we're talking about the Lutherans. There are most likely some Lutherans in the Lutheran churches that are saved. They got the foundation. They understood the gospel and accepted Christ as their Savior. Then they didn't build on that foundation. They went, as Matthew Henry says, uh, departed from the mind of Christ and substituted their own fancies and inventions in the room of his doctrines and institutions. So they just man-made stuff, and they built on that foundation. What does Paul say is going to happen to that? Verse 15, if any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. He's saying, in the day of judgment, all that stuff's going to burn up. It's worth nothing, but at least you made it to heaven. At least you got saved. That's what he's saying in verse 15. He shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved. That's the ones that built on the, built on the foundation, but used the wrong materials. They used wood, hay, and stubble. Nobody'd build a house out of that, right? Because if there's ever a test, ever a trial, the house goes down. Same thing with our lives. 
Um, and he says, yet so as by fire. And I want to touch on this real, real fast. I don't know if I'm going to get through this. I got one more page of notes, but we're close. So we already talked about the pure doctrine is gold, silver, and precious stones. Polluted doctrine is wood, hay, and stubble. But we're preparing for the test. Uh, what is, let's see. I'm going, to sw- I'm going to skip all the way down to, man, I'm skipping all the verses I wanted to. We might come back to this next week before we get in. We'll use this as our review before we get into the next lesson. But he says this on, uh, in verse 15. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Often, uh, Catholics refer to this as, see, this is proof of purgatory. We're burning sins off. That's not... That's not what this is. He's saying your works, your, what you built is going to be tried by fire. You're going to be saved, but everything, the, uh, verse 13, every man's work shall be made manifest. Everybody's going to see at that point through the facade that you had built. Uh, Matthew Henry again says this, on this passage of scripture, the papists found their doctrine of purgatory, which is certainly hay and stubble. He's saying the doctrine of purgatory is the hay and stubble that's, that Paul is talking about. It's, it's a man-made relig- or a doctrine that they've come up with. A doctrine never originally fetched from Scripture, but invented in barbarous ages to feed the ambitions of the clergy at the cost of those who would rather part, this is interesting, who would rather part with their money than their lusts for the salvation of their souls. That's what it was. You don't have to, you don't have to give up your sin. You can, you can spend time in purgatory and your relatives need to pay money to the church to get you out of purgatory, to get, uh, speed up that process. But he says uh, uh, it, was, it was made for men who would rather part with their money than their lusts for the salvation of their souls. It can have no countenance from this text because this is plainly meant of a figurative fire, not a real one. For what real fire can, can consume religious rites or doctrines? And, and I think he's right there. I, I've often thought, you know, that it's very possible that, uh, and this is, not, this is not in the Bible necessarily, the idea is there, but it's very possible that our mansions could be being built by what we are sending ahead. We could be building our mansions right now with gold, silver, and precious stones, the way we're living, the rewards we're sending ahead, or we could be building it on wood, hay, and stubble, and... and, and, and that's what I'm saying. This is not in the Bible, but this is how I kind of figure it in my mind, or I think of it in my mind. And when we get to heaven, God sets fire to that mansion. And whatever's left, that's what we get to live in. What if that was the case? And our entire mansion's got the good foundation. It's there. But it's built on, we built wood, hay, and stubble. And that lights off, and it's gone. And you get to live on this slab. That's what you live in, in heaven. I'm not saying that's biblical, but think about for a second, but if you've built with with gold, silver, and precious stones, fine, set fire to it. It's actually just going to get pure the hotter it gets, right? Good thought there, um, but yeah, verse 15, they, this is what they use for the doctrine of, of purgatory, and I'm going to stop there because we're over time. I don't see anybody in the hallway, but we're, we're going to touch on verses 16 through 23 uh, next week, and then we'll get into the fifth sin that Paul addresses here. All right, let's pray, and then we'll be dismissed. Father, I thank you for your word. Thank you for your goodness to us. God, I thank you for the instruction in it. And God, I pray that we would not be 
as these natural men, not able to spiritually discern what you have for us in your word because we've grieved your Holy Spirit. God, I pray that we'd be people that are pure, that are clean, and when we come before you, uh, God, you hear us, and you answer our prayers, and our relationship with you is in tune, and, and it, it is what it should be and what you want it to be so that you can give us the understanding uh, that you have for us here in your word. And God, I, as we talked about here at the end, I pray that we would build with pure uh, products on the foundation that we've been given. God, I thank you for the salvation you've given us. Thank you for the opportunity each one of us has had to accept you as our Savior. But God, I pray that we would be building on pure religion and undefiled uh, so that we, when we stand before you and our works are made manifest, uh, that it wouldn't be burned up. It would be things that were pleasing to you. And uh, God, not for show, but for your glory. Pray that you would give us a good next hour. Be with our pastor as he preaches. Be with our hearts. That we'd open them to receive what you have for us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We're dismissed. <laughs>